0: I see a lot of new faces today. Um, it's really good to, you know. Uh, this past week, I was thinking how fortunate it is that we get to worship together. You know, it's sometimes it takes kind of nationwide tragedy to kind of remind us, like we shouldn't take this for granted. Um, And this is a privilege that we get to have to gather together. And we have a few uh, people who've joined us after leaving as well. Shout out to Brittany. And um, yeah, I'm just really excited that we get to worship here today. Uh, So as I announced at the beginning of service today, we're actually live streaming because we have quite a number of people who are unable to come here today. And also our Busan uh, campus is actually uh, not meeting uh, today as a congregation but they are joining us through live stream so hey busan good to see you guys please stay safe Teg was very close to you guys so please 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 be safe um over the next few weeks as well you know uh you know a uh, pastor jp he announced you know we're going to be having a few conversations and decision making regarding the future of our church um I will be absent for a few Sundays in the next month. That means nothing. Okay. Just, I wanted to let you guys know because they're like, oh my gosh, she disappeared. Uh, You know, that's, that's not what's happening. Um, I'm going to be, as of now, the plan is to go down to Pusan and, and, um, you know, meet with our congregation down there. One of the, one of the weeks in the following month and as well as um, a personal prayer retreat as well. But that's kind of up in the air right now because of our situation. But without further ado, we're going to get into today's message. Today is the last of an eight-part series that we've been preaching on since the beginning of the year regarding spiritual disciplines. Now, for many of us who are raised in the church, we're kind of allergic to this term, right? Like, oh, they're going to make us read the book. They're going to make us do things that we really don't want to do. But one of the things that we talked about from the very beginning of this series is spiritual disciplines. It should be done out of a place of first being embraced through the gospel in Christ Jesus. So this means nothing about your salvation, This doesn't make you saved or unsaved. That is through the gospel alone. But our spiritual disciplines are simply opportunities, avenues for us to draw closer to God. I honestly don't know how it's possible to draw close to God without reading his word, you know, without prayer, without, you know, all these different things that we've been talking about. And so this is a sermon series that is hopefully setting us up on a trajectory to draw closer to God. And so we started in January 5th uh, with the sermon series, um, you know, the last eight weeks into the new year, they've been a really beautiful journey. And I'm, I'm actually already hearing uh, amazing testimonies from people who are like, you know what? I've never actually read the Bible on my own. And, you know, like I've actually never done it. I've been a Christian for all these many years, but every time it's been presented, it's like, ah, oh, I, I, there's nothing in me that wants to do it. But this year, like, I think I want to give it a shot. You know, And we've had so many people sign up for the Bible reading in a year. Let me tell you, there's nothing magical about finishing the Bible within a year. There's nothing magical about it. Like it doesn't take you to the next level of spirituality. That's not what happens. But it is a beautiful journey to go on together as a body of Christ. And to not feel alone. To not feel condemned as well if you're falling behind. But to feel encouraged and spurred on. And so people who have never read the book of Leviticus are reading that right now. For those who are reading it right now now hopefully you know if you get anything out of it it is thank jesus for his sacrifice we don't need a bull we don't need a dove we don't need you know we got jesus you know and so thank jesus for a sacrifice where we don't need to know exactly how to you know divide up a dove in order to sprinkle blood on the whatever you know thank jesus for it uh but yes leviticus as well it is you know the the inspired and inerrant word of God. And so God can speak to us through the Leviticus as well. So many beautiful testimonies throughout the last few weeks. Uh, We started out the year by talking about what are spiritual disciplines. And we talked about how if we don't start from the place of the gospel, they can actually become a burden. I don't know about you guys, but I was raised in the church. And for many years, I was taught that these spiritual disciplines are like, it's almost like medicine, like it's good for you. So you have to do it but there's nothing enjoyable about it, you know? It's like you have to hold your nose and like, you know, swallow the syrup or whatever kind of medicine is you're taking. You know, it's good for you and you have to do it if you want to get better in some way, but it's there's nothing enjoyable about that. And so we had to start out by saying the gospel sets us up for us to not just think of these things as disciplines, but actually delights as well. It's an open door and it's an opportunity to draw closer to God. And then we went on to talk about the importance of reading the word. We cannot get acquainted with a God that we worship without reading the word. And sometimes in many, uh, many Christian circles, we see two things kind of pitted against one another. It's like, you're either like spirit people or you're the word people. There is no such thing in the Bible. You know, if you are spirit people, you must be about the word. And if you are about the word, you have to be about the spirit. There's no, you can't pit those two against one another. And what I believe that the Lord is doing in this generation of Christians is people who will not compromise on one or the other. They won't have team word and team spirit. They're team spirit. (laughs) Um, uh, Oh, wow. Unintentional pun. I repent. Um, yes. So team, you know, like I'm all about the word. Um, and then I'm all about the spirit. Um, Uh, You can't have that dichotomy. You have to be about the word and you have to be about the spirit. And so we talked about that in the first week where we were going deep into spiritual disciplines. And then we had Pastor JP talk to us about the discipline of rest. This is so countercultural, like so countercultural. It's already been a few weeks since we preached on this. And already you should feel that tension. Right. When you are in the nitty gritty tomorrow morning, tomorrow at 10 a.m. in the morning, I dare you to to review your notes on rest when you are already being bombarded by all these emails and in your inbox. And oh, my gosh, all these things I need to do this week, I encourage you, uh, you know, revisit these notes that you took from that week. It's already been a month, but I, I hope that you feel, you know, that that you are positioned to stop once in a while. To remember that God is fully in control, more so than your boss, although your boss is great, more so than your schedule, although your schedule is great. God is the one who's in control of your life. And to be able to stop for a moment, especially in Korean culture here, unless you intentionally stop, there's nobody who's going to be like, Hey, you should take a break. Like very rarely does that ever happen in Korean work culture. And so it's something that we need to set for ourselves in order to constantly be reminded that we do work, but that is not where identity comes from. And that's not where our value comes from. Next, we talked about intercession. What it means to be seated in high heavenly places, what it means for us to boldly approach the throne of grace where we can find mercy in our time of need. That is such an amazing invitation for us. And that is a position that was blood bought for us. We didn't earn our way into it. It's not just for the super Christians, only the ones who have been a Christian for three years or more. No, it's for every spirit-filled believer who has been bought by the blood of Christ has been given that invitation. Next, we talked about the importance of simply dwelling in God's presence and practicing God's presence. Again, it's very similar to uh, the discipline of rest in that if we don't do it intentionally, it's never going to happen. You don't accidentally practice the presence of God. It has to be a deliberate, intentional uh, thing that you integrate into your daily life. And then we talked about fasting. Woo. Yeah. Everybody was so excited about that message. Right? Right. So fasting, we cannot talk about as much as I would love us to, you know, completely bypass fasting. We, I would feel like I'm cheating you out of something. If I were to not talk about fasting, it is a powerful weapon and a privilege given to us to warfare with, and also to draw closer to God. And so for me to, you know, I was very tempted to be like, ah, maybe we'll preach about this some other time. Like we're doing so great. And like, everybody's so excited about this sermon series. And here I am and you know, no. Fasting is a beautiful thing. It's a powerful thing. And it's also a gift from the Lord. And so I hope that you kind of took this to heart and even prayed through what should I be fasting for? What should I be be fasting from as well in order to make room for the Lord? We talked about last week about discipleship, the importance of practicing discipleship. We're not called to be lone standing Christians. We're called to be in a community. We're called to grow together as a community. And so this is something that we intentionally embody. And in our case, in our community, we do it through primarily through house churches. And lastly, today, we're going to be talking about the last spiritual discipline for the sermon series. And that is the spiritual discipline of generosity. Generosity. Mm. <laughs> So when it comes to generosity, now this is something that often doesn't get talked about and hear me out. If you feel very uncomfortable about somebody preaching about generosity, I completely understand you. Like I've been there for sure. I've been to, you know, places and, you know, sat under teaching that actually made me very, very uncomfortable. Sometimes it was poorly preached on. Sometimes it was my own personal wrestling within me where I was like, ah, Do I give God access to that? You know, there's always going to be a point where you're like, ah, you can touch everything, but just not that Lord, you know, usually it falls to two categories. One is your romantic life. Like, you know, like you can be very Christian and everything else, but. God, don't touch this one thing, you know, my romantic life, that's off limits to you, Lord, you know, and that's the limit that we tend to set. Usually it's number one, our romantic life, and then number two, or lack thereof, right, and then number two is, I'm speaking for myself, guys, okay, number two is when it comes to money, we're like, okay, the church can talk about everything except for that. Like, that is where I draw the line. And so I completely understand that that tension that you feel when you hear a preacher talking about it. And so this is my only challenge for us today. You know, you don't need to do anything or, you know, apply anything without first having wrestled through it. And when you find yourself wrestling with something, perhaps that is being preached today, I encourage you, take it home. And prayerfully consider what is the aspect that you are wrestling through. Sometimes it is the preacher, you know, sometimes it's, it's the way that it's preached. Sometimes it's like the word of God. That's where the offense lies. And sometimes it is like, oh, there's certain things in my life that I, I'm just not ready to invite the Lord into. And so I encourage you to identify what that is and don't just blindly apply any of the things that I'm going to be talking about today. Does it sound fair? Because I think we're, we're training each and every person here not just to take wholesale and swallow wholesale what is being preached. We're, we're training believers to discern the word of God for themselves. And so you need to take this home and really prayerfully wrestle through it. And so that's gonna be, that's the deal for today. Don't take everything wholesale today. Take copious notes today, but wrestle with it at home. Okay? Because, again, it's not always going to be a good preacher. It's not always going to be a good message. But as long as you're confronted with the word of God, then there's hope there. And that's something that you need to take away with you. So please take what is said today prayerfully, you know, not with guilt, not with condemnation, not through compulsion. But bring it to God because generosity is primarily an issue of the heart first, not the wallet. It starts in the heart. It's not about the wallet. It's about the heart first. And from there, everything flows out. So we're going to talk about more the heart aspect of it. Now, over the course of my very short life, um, I've met people that have challenged this area in my life. Like I, I'm living my life like I should and I'm doing what I should and I'm on a career path and I'm doing all these things. And then once in a while I meet people in my life that God brings into my life to challenge my understanding of what it looks like to trust in God for his provision. And it can look sometimes in the form of a missionary. It can look sometimes in, a, in the form of support raiser. It can look like, like someone who has a family and yet chooses to uproot their family in order to follow a calling that God is leading them into. It looks like so many different things. But I, I, I'm sure that already somebody like came to mind for you. Like, oh yeah, I remember this one person and the, the decisions that they made. Regarding their time, regarding their, 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 you know, how they open up their house, regarding their finances, regarding how, how they spend leisure, all these things, they were very challenging to me. I'm sure that there's somebody in your life that God has placed there to challenge that notion. And for me, it's taken so many different forms. If I were to just talk about one person who's not here, it would be my mom. So my mom came to Christ as, you know, as a teenager back in the day when, you know, there are American missionaries that are being, you know, sent to Korea. Um, and she just went to church one day because they promised her like some kind of snack or something like that. So she went there and she ended up accepting Christ. And then she lived an entire life, lifetime, and still is a Christian. Um, that has really challenged me in many ways. One of the things was in her giving. So many of you might have a very similar background where your parents, you know, if they're immigrant parents, they started with nothing right? They went somewhere. In my case, it was Chile. It's literally the other side of the world from here. And so they packed their bags after getting married and they went to Chile and they started from like zero from nothing. They had nothing when they got, they just said, you know, the typical only two suitcases in your hand and, you know, like hoping that things would work out. And so me and like my two brothers, all three of us were born and raised there. And no matter what kind of financial season we went through, something that I observed from my my mom in particular, it was that she would never compromise giving towards charity, no matter how badly we were doing financially. So that was a commitment that she had made before the Lord. And, you know, we had ups and downs and, you know, uh, my parents went through even like bankruptcy during, um, you know, the IMF and when was it like 97 or something like that? And there were days where, you know, like we were wondering like how on earth are we going to make it through the next week? And even in those times, her commitment was like, no matter how poor we are, we're always going to give still. And that was observing someone like that through, through thick and thin who wouldn't compromise that. It taught me something, perhaps not verbally, but just watching her walk in that way. It, it said something to me. It said it has nothing to do with how much you have currently. It has something to do with a commitment before God and an openness and a generosity of heart as well. And you see it even in the Bible when you see, you know, the widow giving, she had nothing. And yet she gave three copper coins and she gave it unto the Lord with a heart of worship. And so that is something that I've, I've observed throughout the years. And, you know, I'm really blessed to have seen that kind of testimony over decades where it's not just like, oh, you know what this year I think I will give, but it was a lifelong commitment before the Lord. And this is something very important for us to see firsthand because the world tells us a very different story. Now, this is something that I pulled up. I honestly have no idea where it's from. So somebody reposted a repost of a repost. And so this is uh, just something that really caught my attention. And it is uh, from someone's repost on a Facebook uh, as a Facebook post. And it says the world is increasingly designed to depress us. Happiness isn't very good for the economy. If we were happy with what we had, why would we need more? How do you sell an anti-aging moisturizer? You make someone worry about aging. How do you get people to vote for a potential political party? You make them worry about immigration. How do you get them to buy insurance? By making them worry about everything. How do you get them to have plastic surgery? By highlighting their physical flaws. How do you get them to watch a TV show? By making them worry about missing out. How do you get them to buy a new smartphone by making them feel like they're going to be left behind to be calm becomes a kind of revolutionary act to be happy with your own non upgraded existence, to be comfortable with our messy human selves would not be good for business. So this is not written by a Christian. This is just written by a secular writer. And we see, we see how true that is, right? Or you're like, Oh, 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 you're like rethinking all your purchases and, you know, all your financial decisions. You know, isn't it true that no matter how many advances we've experienced in the recent years, anxiety is at an all time high. Like no amount of assurance, both technological and, you know, financial, it doesn't matter what is at our disposal, anxiety, depression, suicide rates, all these things are at all time high. And that should point us towards something is that no matter how much we try to fix things through the external, trying to meet our needs, it's something much deeper than that. That's not being addressed. And so the Bible in uh, Matthew chapter six, it says it a different way. It says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, this passage, we kind of gloss over it. And sometimes we come away from this passage with a wrong conclusion. Sometimes we're like, "Okay, so I'm supposed to be like very like. Like somewhere up in like a abstract plane, like beyond matter, be beyond material needs. And I just not, don't need to care about anything. That's not what this passage is saying. It's, saying. it's saying care about things, but care about the right things. Does that make sense? It's saying invest in things, spend, spend time, finances, energy in things, but make sure that you're investing in the right things, the things that don't rust The things that don't decay in this life. And it's pointing us toward a greater reality that surpasses what our needs are in this present lifetime. And then it continues on to say, don't worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, about your body, what you will wear. And it continues on to say, look, if you look outside and you see birds of the air and they seem to be well taken care of. And then you, you turn around and you look at the flowers of the field like they are clothed in such beauty. Don't you think that you are more important to the Lord than a bird and then a flower. You have a father who takes care of you. And then Matthew says, Oh, you of little faith. It is completely a faith matter when it comes down to it. It is not a, are my needs being met here? Or like, am I foreseeing the needs that I will have in the future? Am I being responsible? There's nothing wrong with being responsible that I'm all for that. In fact, but we need to examine whether there's an attitude in our faith, uh, holes in our faith that lead us to a place not of sober, you know, planning and adjusting and planning ahead, but of anxiety, of worry, where we feel like if I don't take care of myself, nobody will. Now, people who don't have faith in the Lord, they have the luxury to say that because they don't believe that they have a father who takes care of them. But we as believers, we have to trust that we have a father who takes care of us. Now, let me give you an example of this. Um, many years ago, when I started, I went into full-time ministry for first time and I just jumped into it, you know, like, okay, Lord, you're going to provide for me. And then I went to full-time support raising and I didn't have, you know, savings. I didn't have my family around me. And um, it was a big, big step of faith for me. And as hard as it was, I know one of the things that God was very pleased about is what it was my faith that God would have to provide. Like he has to provide. Why do I say that? Because he called me into it. You know, he wouldn't be like, all right, I'm calling you into this, into this. Good luck. You know, good luck. I hope it it turns out. Well, no, I'm like, look, if you call me into this, God, you better provide. Like you, you better provide. I gave up like financial stability. I gave up my family. I gave up my, my past community like you better provide for this and it led me to a place where I had to test the Lord whether he would be a good father to me and there'd be days where I felt really strong, where I'd be like, yes, the Lord can do anything. And he's going to provide, you know, all, every one of my needs into the overflow. And there'd be days where I'm like, oh my gosh, did I do the wrong thing? <laughs> like, what have I done? You know, there'd be days where I'd feel weak and I'd feel tested. But that was such a precious opportunity. I wouldn't trade that for the world. Because one of the things that I walked away with from that season, it is God will take care of me like perhaps in a way that my parents can't take care of me, in a way that my savings account can't take care of me, God will take care of me. I put myself into his hands, into his trust, and he'll be the one who provides for me. So I'm going to ask all of us to turn to Second Corinthians 9. 2 Corinthians 9. Second Corinthians 9. We're going to start in verse 6. Second Corinthians 9 verse 6 And so this is Paul addressing the church of Corinth and he's regarding an offering that they are preparing to give to the other churches, right? So part of their practice, it was, Hey, we're going to collect an offering here so that when a missionary comes by or a church planter comes by or somebody from a particular church comes by, we're ready to give this gift and do it joyfully. It's not going to, it's not going to be a time to scramble like, Oh my gosh, this person is in town. Let's, let's try to scrape something together. No, it's, we're intentionally going to collect this and wait for this person to come and pick it up. And so Paul's addressing the church of Corinth regarding an offering they are preparing. And this is what he says, starting verse six. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply an increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God because of the service by which you have proved yourselves Others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And so Paul is touching on so many things here. It would take us kind of a long time for us to break things down, but I'm going to give you a quick summary of what Paul is saying. It's saying that you're giving as a church, you're giving as a follower of Christ. Number one, when we see verses six through 11, it says it affects what you actually receive. It has say in what you actually receive. If you sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly. If you sow generously, you will also reap generously. So give cheerfully. God is able to bless you abundantly. He will increase your store of seed and enlarge your harvest of righteousness. So he is saying that what is entrusted to you by God will be affected by your willingness to be generous about it. Now, I wish I wouldn't have to say that, but that's what the word says. You know, that's what the word says. What you will receive from the Lord, it has everything to do with your openness to being generous to know how to steward things well, and that means that you cannot do, uh, and you cannot just spend for your own self as well. And this is very interesting. What, what Paul is saying? He says you are receiving in the natural. So God will increase your store of seed on one hand. So he's actually, you know, if I were to translate it into modern day terms, he's going to enlarge your bank account. It sounds wrong to say, but that's what he's saying. He's going to enlarge your bank account. Not only that, he's actually going to enlarge your harvest of righteousness. So he's not just sowing in financial ground, but he's also sowing in your righteousness. And as you freely give, God will increase your harvest in righteousness as well. Verse 12, it says that your giving. It supports God's work. It supports God's work. God's work. I wish we... Didn't need finances, but God uses finances for his will and for his purposes. uh, So in the giving, we know that it's supporting God's work. We know that it's going towards something that will advance God's kingdom. In verse 12, it also says that your giving leads people to praise God. Your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God by others. Have you ever seen somebody like that? You know, like when you see them like very generously living a life of faith and trust in the Lord. When you look at them, you're like, that's pretty incredible. And I think I want to know that kind of God. And I think I want to become like that kind of person. And you see something that is so countercultural and so outside of just meeting their own needs. And it makes you praise God. So it leads people to praise God. Last, it leads people to see God in you. People see that you are a follower follower of Christ through the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel and your generosity. So it means that you're not just talking the talk, but they see in your life that there's something that's accompanying the verbal confession of the gospel of Christ. And that is your life looks different. Your giving looks different. Your investment looks different. Your openness towards others. It looks different and so it leads people to see God in you. And ultimately verse 14 and 15 it says that your giving is a gift from God. It is a gift and a grace that God has given you. Now, we've heard enough you know, preachers that might twist this and say, "Hey, if you want to get more money, this is what you should do." You know, you should give to this so-and-so ministry, you know, you should break your savings account and, you know, spend it in this way, you know, and that's not what I'm saying here today. Please don't misunderstand me. That's not what I'm saying today. Right. But it means that you need to examine your finances, examine your giving. And more than that, the disposition of your heart, you need to examine that under the light of the gospel. There's no area in your life that is immune from the spirit of God. Every part needs to be submitted under the spirit of God and the word of God. And so this is one of those areas. Again, it's very uncomfortable for me to say it, but that's what the word of God says. And In the same way that I didn't want to talk about fasting and I did, I have to talk about giving as well. Now, there's three different things that I want to highlight about generosity today. And first it is that generosity is an act of turning to God generosity is an act of turning to God. In many occasions in the Bible, both in the old Testament and the new Testament, God talks about this term called tithing, right? Tithing. It means whatever you make 10% of that goes unto the Lord. And let me make this clarification. Tithing is not equated to generosity, especially in the new Testament. When Jesus walks in the scene, he says, you know, it's not, He says, when you tithe, blah, 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 blah. He does say that, but then he ups almost like the, the standards. And he says, you're not just recalled to, you're not just called to tithe. Now that you have the spirit of God living in you, you're actually called to be generous. Being generous is actually much more than just, Hey, like, here you go, God, 10%. It is, it goes beyond that. Being generous is a whole new different level. And so I'm not going to equate both to one another. Um, and we'll talk about tithing a bit more in uh, detail in some other occasion, but it takes, uh, it, it brings up the issue. I'm not going to get into the nitty gritty of it today. When we see God's people not tithing, it is a symptom of a much deeper heart issue. And that is that they turn away from the Lord. And we see in Malachi chapter three, it says, I, the Lord do not change So you, the descendants of Jacob are not destroyed ever since the time of your ancestors. You have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord almighty. But you ask how, uh, but you ask, how are we to return? So God's saying like, look, you're doing like all these sacrifices and you are being really religious and you're doing all these things. But actually your hearts are far away from me. And then they, they in turn, they're like what do you mean? Like, what do you mean? We're far from you. What do you mean that we've gone so far away that we need to return to you? And then this is what God answers. Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. And you're like, what in the world? Wait, wait, what? But he asks, how are we robbing you? And then God answers in tithes and offerings. And then he says, you're under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. this is the only time in the Bible where God says, test me in this call my bluff. He's saying test me in this and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I'll prevent pests from devouring the crops And vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Now, the conclusion that I'm coming to, it isn't if you don't tithe, you're going to receive a curse. That's not what I'm saying, guys, okay? So don't land there, please. By all means, don't land there. It is saying you've turned away from the Lord. The Lord's favor is not on you. And an evidence of that is that your giving doesn't reflect what you say with your mouth. Does that make sense? So you can say you're, you're a, you're a believer in God. You can say you are the people of Israel, all you want, but I'm seeing that your hearts are far from me. they're saying like, no, our hearts are not far from you. Prove it. And he's like, look at your giving. Isn't that evidence that your hearts have turned away from me? And so he's not saying like, because you're not paying, I'm cursing you, but he's saying it's evidence that your hearts are far away from me. You feel like you can do all these religious pious acts. And that that will appease the Lord and that will be pleasing in his sight. But he's saying, no, like I'm seeing that your hearts are far from me. And the first place I'm seeing that is in your giving. You started to withhold as if you didn't have a God who takes care of you. You started to penny pinch. You started to get stingy when it was something that was supposed to be life giving and something that was supposed to bring blessing to the house of Israel. You started clenching your hands around something that you were supposed to be open handed about. And I'm seeing that in your hearts and I'm seeing that in your giving. And so this is, I hope you hear God's tone of voice behind it. It's not like I want to curse you. Give me the money you owe me. It is, I want to bless you. I want to open wide the storehouses of heaven to you. Trust me when I say Be generous. Trust me when I say I'm going to take care of you. Don't become a kind of believer that speaks with their mouth and does all these religious things. And yet their heart is is far from me. Turn and return back to me. This is what his invitation is to the people of Israel. And that's what his invitation is to us as well. So for us, I'm not saying that, hey, if you don't give to the church. You're going to be cursed. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, if you're not giving to the church, reexamine your faith. Like there must be something that perhaps the Holy Spirit needs to speak into. Perhaps there's anxiety there that it's a matter of faith. Perhaps there is fear like, oh my gosh, like if I begin to give, there's going to be no end to this. And you know, the moment that we start feeling like this is mine and I can't let it go. And man, if I start giving to the Lord, he's going to rip me off. And you know? It says something about our faith. And so if you're not, if you don't find generosity in your life, then it means just simply examine your faith. It means perhaps, perhaps there's an area of your life that needs to be brought under the submission of the Holy Spirit. Next, generosity is a reflection of trust in God. A reflection of trust in God. If we were to look at Matthew 25, we see Jesus talking about a parable of talents. And he says to such person, he gave this much to such person. He gave this much and to such person. He gave this much. And then when it was time to see what they had made of it, this person had, you know, increased to this person, had increased, and the person who had the least actually, you know, hid it, buried it. And when the master came back to, to bear account, uh, he's like, well, this is what he says. Master, I knew you to be a hard Man reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground here. You have what is yours. Now we're not going to talk about what it means to have this many talents and this many talents and this many talents. We're going to ask the question, how does the servant view their master? What does it say? This act What does it say about how he views his master? He sees his master as a hard man, as someone who's out to rip them off, as someone who's out to squeeze them dry. You know, you're going to work for me. You're going to slave for me. And then I better see, you know, a return for my investment. The servant sees the master as someone like that, not as someone who will reward someone who has stewarded something well. And so when we see a lack of generosity in our lives, it means that that is a moment that we've chosen to turn away from God and chosen to believe that he is a hard man, that he's out to squeeze me dry. He's out to, man, I'm going to be toiling. I'm going to be slaving away in this life. And he's out to get as much out of my life as possible. And he's, then he's going to discard me. That means that that's the way that we are viewing God the moment that we choose to turn away from God and begin to think that we are the sole person in control of our lives. And we're the sole person that's responsible for the sustenance of our lives and our future. That is the moment we dethrone God from his rightful place as Lord and savior of our lives. That's the moment we take matters into our own hands and choose to withhold. We choose to live like we don't have a father. We choose to live like orphans who don't have a father who knows their needs. And so this is a question that I want to pose to you today. Do you believe that you have a harsh master or do you believe that you have a good father? And that often shows in our giving. I'm not just preaching about y'all should, Get your act together. This is something that I struggled with as, as well. And in different times of my life, God will bring this back up to the surface. Just when you think like, oh, okay, I'm never going to doubt you again, God. Right? We've all been through that. I'm never going to doubt you again, God, because you pulled through in this. And then he'll like unearth a different area of my life where like, oh, I don't know if I can give that to you. <laughs> uh, 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 oh, I thought I was over this. And God will, will graciously do that in our lives. He will bring opportunity for us to revisit what we believe about God. And I'm sure all of us in the room at one point or another have experienced this before, where you feel God kind of encroaching on territory that you're very uncomfortable with. You're like, oh, ah, don't touch that idol. You know, oh, don't touch that source of safety. Ah, we were doing so well. Why are you getting all up in my personal space? And God will graciously do that. He is inviting us to reexamine what we believe about him. And whenever that time comes, I encourage you to ask yourself this question. Do I believe I have a harsh master or do I believe that I have a good father? That is a question that should surface in our hearts. What kind of God do you serve? Is he a good God? Is he someone who wants to bless you? Someone who's for you and who's not against you. Someone who's not there just to use you and discard you, but someone who sees you as a precious son, a precious daughter. He wants to see you flourishing where he's placed you. He wants to increase what you already steward. This is the kind of God that we serve. Lastly, generosity is a reflection of the gospel in our lives. Generosity is a reflection of the gospel in our lives. This is very cut and dry, okay? Freely you have received, freely give. I I could take it apart in like Greek and whatever, but that's what it means. You know, that's all it is. It's very simple. Sometimes we tend to over, you know, complicate things. It's a passage in Matthew 10 where Jesus sends the 12, the 12 disciples into the towns to spread the gospel of the kingdom. And he tells them, hey, you won't be well received. Hey, don't take any food with you. Hey, don't take any extra money with you. Hey, don't take any extra sandals, not any extra clothes. And you're going to be persecuted by the way. So they have every, like every instinct in them is like, Dude, like if I don't take care of myself, then nobody else will. And I'm walking into, you know, a situation where I'm going to be in lack. And Jesus tells them, hey, don't take any of those things because freely you have received. Now freely give. Freely you have received. Freely give. He sends them out saying, heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out demons. Freely you have received. Freely given some, and isn't this just the essence of the gospel? This is like the gospel distilled into just one neat little phrase freely. You have received freely give none of us, none of us here, no matter how talented we are, no matter how disciplined we are, no matter how much we've been ticking off the boxes with every spiritual discipline that we've been talking about for the last seven weeks, no matter how righteous. We are in our own eyes. None of us have earned the favor of God. Even as a pastor, I have not earned the favor of God. It was freely given. And now I'm freely called to give freely. I've received now I'm called to freely give. And sometimes we overcomplicate things. You know, we think like, well, when I'm doing better, you know, Oh, when I have a bit more cushion, or like, oh, when, when my life is not so hectic and we kind of push it off, you know, to some future day, some magical day when we are oh, look at all this cash I have lying around. That's, that's not what the gospel says. Hey, like whatever you have, the disposition of your heart should be, you've freely received now freely give. It's a matter of the heart first and foremost. If you have little, then give whatever you can, but give. It is something, and I promise you, it's something that's going to bless you more than the person receiving it. It's more blessed to give than to receive. So be faithful in the small things. Start small. Whatever it is that God has given you to steward, steward that well. Prayerfully look for opportunities to freely give. It might look like something as simple as tomorrow morning. When you walk into your workplace, you're going to, Remember, hey, this is coworker that I have, and they've been seeming a bit discouraged this past week. Why don't I just pick up an extra coffee on my way to work? And I just want to bless them this very small. It might be something as simple as that. And it can, it can also be something as long-term as, you know, I feel like I haven't been given, uh, giving, um, like throughout the year, giving consistently towards anything. And so why don't I look for people who are either support raising or ministries that are in need? Why don't I look for opportunities to give and do it in a consistent way? It could look like something like that. And I can I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt, the person who's going to be most blessed is you. The person who's going to be most blessed, more than the person receiving the coffee, more than the person receiving that, you know, whatever monthly, um, you know, support that you're giving you're going to be the one who's most blessed. No matter how little you have, you have something to give generously. No matter how much you've gone through as well, no matter how much you've suffered, no, no matter how much, how much, you know, you've seen people take advantage of you. Don't let that rob you of the gift of giving. Don't let that rob you of the gift of giving because in life, you will always have ample Opportunity to hold grudges, to hold offense, to withhold, to be jealous, to want to control, to want to become tight-fisted, to become petty and self-protecting and self-interested and self-serving. There's always going to be ample opportunity for us to land there. But if we take these opportunities that will come in life, they will come for sure. I know this because we live in a broken world. Someone is going to offend you, for sure. Someone is going to betray you, for sure. We live in a fallen world. But if we take these opportunities as invitations to crucify an idol that we carry, to lay to rest something that we're very anxious about, you'll realize that this might be the most liberating thing you've done in a long time to just freely give without any expectation of return to give without agenda to simply live a life that is open because God was open with you to be generous because God was generous with you and that's what we've called to do i'd like to set the example you know and and perhaps even commend uh some people that i've seen walking this out in the recent while and if it's okay you know i'll, I'll highlight just a few people you know, this church has a few, like an elder board that makes financial decisions for the church. And in the last couple of years, our finances have been pretty tight. And there's a lot of expenses that were not planned. There's a lot of things that were like, oh my gosh, like we have to, we have to dip into our savings. And oh my gosh, like we need to pull out money from contingency. And there's been so many things that have happened that are completely out of our control In the last two years where the temptation would have been, let's stop giving. Like, this is the moment for us to stop giving. We got to save ourselves now, you know, like we got to save me, me, myself, and I, but what I've seen in, in the elder board in particular, the last two years, it has been like, no matter what we are going through, they have made a commitment to still give no matter how much or how little we're making every week. We, we, we've said, if we stop giving, we're going to be doubly robbed. Does that make sense? Doubly robbed. It means that we're going to be at a disadvantage. We're going to lose out an opportunity to be generous. And that means that we're going to be doubly robbed. And so through different decisions that were made in the last year, two years, we've seen over and over again, the elder board choosing to be giving. Choosing, hey, there's ministries out there that still need our support. There's missionaries out there that still need our support. Where can we give? What is the percentage that we want to give? And we're not going to budge no matter how much over or how much under we are. There's a percentage that we have designated for certain things. And we said, no matter how much we have or how little we have in a given season, we are not going to withhold this. This is our opportunity to give. And it's brought me so much courage watching elders make those kind of decisions where I realized that, okay, this is a church that has been through a lot. And perhaps we have every reason to be like, you know what? I'm going to stop caring about everybody else. And this is a time for me to take care of my needs. We have every, you know, every opportunity to, to land there. And yet through everything we're choosing. No, if we allow ourselves to fall there, if we allow ourselves to land there, then perhaps it's going to be a kind of church that we don't really believe in anymore. We believe that we have freely received, and as a church, we're going to freely give. I've seen this also in some missionaries and some support raisers that we, um, as a church and also personally, that we support. Perhaps I can call him out because he's not here today. So if if you know, uh, JM is somebody who served you know, as a pastor and also as an elder in the past, but he's hundred percent full-time support raising. And he works in the orphanage ministry here in Korea. And he's done this for millions of, okay, not millions. He's not that old, um, but he's done this for, for such a long time. And he's done it through thinking thin, whether support was higher whether support was low. He continues every day, you know, to trust that God will meet his needs. But then the surprising thing that I've seen as I've, I've watched him, it's that he's probably one of the most giving people that I know where, even though he lives on support, he's the first one to say, Hey, is there a need? Can I give towards this? Hey, is, is, is someone in need? Can can I just personally give a gift? If the church can give a person a gift, then can I personally give towards this? I've seen I've seen them do this over and over and over again. And that has really taught me so much. You know, this is the kind of person that I want to be. I don't want to be a person who's like So calculating and so, you know, clenching so tight around the few things that I feel God has given me that I can't look around and see need around me and freely give without any agenda. It's not like these people are like, okay, we're going to give towards this, but they better give something back. Oh, they they better support what I do. No, there's none of that. It's freely giving because they freely received as well. And that shows so much that speaks volumes about the kind of God that they worship and the kind of God they see God to be. I'm going to close with this. Proverbs 11, verse 25, it says a generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be. Refreshed. Other versions, uh, other translations of the Bible, they say the generous soul will be made rich and he who waters, he who waters will also be watered himself. Isn't that like a beautiful picture? And this is what I want us to take home with us today. This is an invitation into blessing, an invitation into learning more about who God is and seeing whether God will supply your needs or not. This is an invitation for us to test God on this. Will he not supply all your needs? Will he not increase your storehouses? Will he not be faithful to those who are faithful to him? New Philly, as a church, our history, it has been strewn with opportunities for us to withhold, to get tight-fisted, to begin to suspect people around us and see everything through a lens of cynicism. But on the flip side, God has given us so many opportunities to grow in our giving and grow in our generosity through finances, through service, through our time, through our prayers. And we cannot let that go to waste. We cannot let that go to waste. God is conspiring to bless us. God is conspiring to increase your capacity to steward his blessings without it destroying you, without it becoming an idol to you. God is conspiring to refresh us through different avenues and in different unexpected ways. And we have a choice whether we believe that God is our provider and our good father, or whether he's a harsh man, whether he's a slave driver, we get a choice. And so as as a church, what we do, how we choose to serve one another, how we choose to give towards one another, that reflects everything about how much we believe in the gospel. And this is an opportunity that we are being given as a church. Don't let this opportunity go to waste. Again, it doesn't need doesn't mean like hey tomorrow i'm gonna write a you know a check for you know whatever there are no checks in korea by the way um, um does, doesn't mean even if it's it means starting out small even if, if it means hey let me buy a meal to 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 someone hey let me ask them if they have any need let me give something away that i already have and see if not if god won't bless you see if you won't be more blessed by giving There's been so many opportunities that we've been given and we cannot play the victim card. We cannot play the woe is me card or like, Hey, we'll, we'll be able to give somewhere down the line. No, we have to choose to give. Now we have to choose generosity. Now it can take any form. It can be any amount. It can look any particular way. And yet I encourage all of us. Let's examine our hearts. Let's make sure that our belief in the gospel is overflowing into action, it's overflowing into the, our decision-making. It's overflowing into a life that is generous simply because no other reason other than God has been generous to us. And that's it. That's all the reason we need to be generous. So we're going to close this in prayer today. I don't want to be overly simplistic when I say just give. I know that there's many very deeply rooted anxieties often that we carry around with us. It might be in regards to his provision. Will God really provide? Will God really meet my needs? Will God really come through? Perhaps there's been experiences in our past where we have felt like we've been given the short end of the stick or we've given and yet we haven't received and perhaps there's even frustration disillusionment bitterness that comes along with that so I'm not saying it's an easy step to take and yet if we choose to fix our eyes on a God who had every right and every reason to be stingy with us he chose to be so generous to us he chose to be so kind and so compassionate to us he chose to draw close to us when he could have just pulled away he chose to meet us in certain situations when he could have just remained absent He chose to meet us when we had nothing of value to give to him, or so we feel. Simply fixing our eyes on a God who is good, a father who knows every one of our needs. He knows us by name. He knows every one of our needs. Those things that we're stressing over, those things that don't allow us to sleep at night, those decisions that keep us up to late he knows every one of those needs and he is a good father to you we fix our eyes on a God who overflows with grace and mercy for his children day in and day out and that helps us Unclench our fists and begin to live a life Filled with the spirit where you walk out in freedom a Life that is lived free of idols a life that is lived in the freedom of the gospel People who don't have to fear But people who know that they have a good father